Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. I'm so glad that you joined us today. This message is from our summer study on the book of Acts. We've been spending all summer long working through the book of Acts as a church. If you've missed a week or you're just now checking out Redeemer, you can find all our past messages at RedeemerTulsa.org. Now here's week 10 of our Acts study with Pastor Adam Barnett. Well, good morning. Let's go to Acts chapter 15. And if you forgot your Bible, there's a red one under the seat in front of you. And if the Bible is new to you today, I want to make sure you can find Acts 15 quickly and easily. So that's page 1718, 1718 in the red Bibles. Last Sunday, we prayed for 35 campout staff members and a team of 18 headed to serve in Albania. And we've got a few pictures. Here's campout. Uh, over 200 kids. It was a loud, chaotic week around the church. It smelled like armpits and sunscreen all week long, uh, but nothing was broken. Uh, and our team, I'm happy to tell you, is safely on the ground in Tirana, Albania. Uh, and here they are in the airport. I would ask you to continue all week long to be in prayer for this team. And here's an important announcement, especially for any of you who have been guests of ours throughout the month of July. A lot of people travel this month, so we're able to condense down to one service, and it's been fun to be together. Uh, But next week, due to people that are going to be coming back, we are going to go back to two services at 9.45 and 11. Uh, And Sunday school is back as well. You can learn more about the differences between our two worship services at RedeemerTulsa.org slash worship, and you can learn about each one of our Sunday school classes at our website slash adults. I know a lot of you also know and appreciate Daniel Bunn. He happens to be one of my favorite Bible teachers, uh, and he will be preaching next Sunday in both services, so make sure that you are back next week. I want you to know before we get into the word this morning, that song that we closed with today uh, where we sing, you have no rival and you have no equal, uh, I fall to my knees every single time we sing that song. Because I, I am guilty and I feel so convicted and I must repent of all of the things in my life that I try to make equal to God and all of the things in my life that I allow to be a rival to God. <sighs> so, some of you have come up to me this month and said, you know, while you're preaching, I just want to talk back to you. I want to shout out an amen. I'm going to give you that chance right now. Because I'm going to say God has no rival. Don't say it now. I'm going to say God has no rival, and then I'm going to say God has no equal. And listen, if you want to realign your life with that truth this morning, may it be so. Are you ready to shout back to me? God has no rival. And God has no equal. Now that we can agree on that, let's go to Acts chapter 15. The ministry of Paul and Barnabas among the Gentiles led to a controversy in the church. Here's verse 1. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. How many of y'all would love to be in an argument with Paul and Barnabas? No. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria. 
and told how the Gentiles had been converted. Listen, this news of the Gentiles be, being converted uh, brought all, uh, made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and they said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So these first believers, Jews, who were religiously attached to their traditions, and they thought that there were certain things that you just had to do to be saved. Yes, they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that he came and had arrived and died for their sins and brought salvation. They had longed for his arrival. They confessed that Jesus died for their sins, but they believed that you couldn't be saved unless you were also a Jew. They believed that the doorway to this Jewish identity was circumcision. So they insisted that Gentiles needed to be circumcised, become Jews in order to be saved, which directly opposes Peter's Pentecost sermon, which we studied in Acts chapter 2, where he says everyone in verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the issue here is not if a Gentile can be saved, but how. And these converted Pharisees were not being exclusive, okay? They were open to the idea of Gentile conversion. They were not being exclusive. They simply wanted these Gentiles to follow the rules, to play by the rules, to keep the law that God had given through Moses. So here we are at the council at Jerusalem to debate this matter. So let's pick up in verse 6. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. This is a common theme that you see throughout the New Testament. There's no distinction between Greek and Jew, slave and free, male and female, barbarian, Scythian, but Christ is all and Christ is for all. So here we see he goes on. He made no distinction between us and them. He purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? Oh, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. So, Peter's testifying again about his firsthand experience with Cornelius, which we studied in Acts 11. You remember when he said in verse 17, so if God gave them the uncircumcised Gentiles the same gift that he has given us, the apostles who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? Who are you? Who are we to think that we can oppose God? His point is this. Jesus isn't a step on the way to salvation. Salvation isn't this ladder, and Jesus is just one step on the ladder to salvation. The point is Jesus is the way. 
Jesus is the way to salvation. And then I love what he says here. Guys, we haven't kept the law. We haven't kept the law for our own selves. So why put this on the necks of new converts? This is too heavy. Instead, this new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ is all about grace. At this meeting, something else was going on that is noteworthy. A Gentile was in the room. Verse 7 says, after much discussion, that is, Peter, Paul, Barnabas, James, and the elders, they're all discussing this matter, trying to make a decision together. What Luke doesn't tell us is that Paul brought Titus with him. And we read of that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 3. Now, Titus was not a key player in this conversation, but I'm intrigued by his presence. He was a Gentile who believed the gospel. During the discussion, I imagine the elders around the table saying something like, Paul, Paul, you're a giant of the faith. Paul, you are the chief theologian of the church. But if you exempt the Gentiles from circumcision, you're going to divide the church. Even if you're right in your thinking, Paul, we recommend that you show a gracious spirit and have this young believer, Titus, circumcised. And I can just see poor Titus. (laughs) Just sitting there listening, just hoping that Paul wins the debate of the day, swaying back and forth, probably dripping sweat. But we know the outcome because we read of that in Galatians chapter 2 as well, verse 5, where Paul writes, we didn't give in to them for a single minute. Mm -mm. This is all about grace and you're not going to sway me one way or the other. He doesn't have to get circumcised. Paul understood that forcing a new convert to be circumcised in order to be saved would spoil the very essence of the gospel. And Paul, listen, Paul was willing to risk a church split before he compromised his fidelity to the scriptures and to God's love and true doctrine. James shared Paul's view later in chapter 15. He spoke up. He referred to the prophets and quoted Amos Acts 15, 16 through 18, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of man may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. Acts 15, referring to Amos 9, verse 11 and 12. James was affirming that God's purpose of reaching and redeeming humanity from the very beginning included Gentiles in the people of God. And he concluded, you can feel the pastoral and tender tone of his words. Verse 19, it is my judgment, James said, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I have a very profound statement for you today. And I've been working on this. I've been working hard on this all week long. Get your pen ready, and I'd like you to write this down. Don't make it difficult for anyone to turn to God. 
And if you are making it difficult, stop. James said it from the very beginning. We have our differences, sure. And we can sit down at a table and we can talk as we share a meal. And we can discern what God is leading and prompting. But by all means, don't make it difficult for anyone to turn to God. The priority on the church is to help people discover the saving, redeeming love of God. As a church, we are not called to repel people, but attract people. See, the mission is to bring people in, not force them out. Y'all with me on that? The council in Acts 15 accomplished four things. Maybe more than four, but definitely these four. One, the unity of the church. These great leaders sat down and debated and discussed yet they were unified. The unity of the church was upheld. Two, the existing Gentile churches were encouraged. We read of this in the next chapter where it says they they learned and heard what was decided by the council and they were encouraged. Three, the future of the church was to be inclusive. Oh, there's a tricky word in today's world, huh? This church is meant to be inclusive of all people, for the gospel of divine grace was reaffirmed. Four fantastic outcomes from this council and from this discussion. So let's spend the remainder of our time talking about this shocking, shocking, and fantastic gift called grace. The hardest idea for human beings is to grasp the doctrine of salvation by grace alone. And why? Because we always want to add something to it. You see, to your left or your right is someone right now who's dealing with pride. Just look left and right. I'm I'm calling out your neighbor. (laughs) I'm really talking about all of you, and me too. We deal with this thing called pride. We deal with this desire for control. And so when we learn that we can be saved and it has nothing to do with what I can do or what I can control, we start thinking, what's the catch? And at times we live under this belief, unless I also fill in the blank, I am not saved. This is the belief that we adopt. Unless I also something, trust Jesus, be circumcised, join the church, live a moral life, keep the Sabbath, tithe 10%, love my neighbor, unless I also do this, I'm not really saved. These are all good things, right? But it's false theology. It is not the truth, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. This is about Jesus and not you. Your salvation has nothing to do with what you are capable of or how qualified you are or how smart you are or how much Bible you know or how well you live out the word of God from nine to five. The gospel and the gift of salvation is all about God's gift And then because of grace, because of mercy, 
We want to obey the Word of God. Because of grace and because of mercy, we wake up in the morning excited to obey the commands in Scripture, excited to walk next door and ring that doorbell and get to know our neighbors and love our neighbors. We wake up excited to live generously, serve sacrificially, love recklessly because of grace and mercy, not because we have to do those things to earn our salvation. Grace is the most counterintuitive reality that there is. And yes, we get suspicious. There's got to be a catch. No, there's not. I'm telling you today, there's not any catch. God's grace is free and inexhaustible. There are no strings attached to this gift. No strings attached. Paul Zoll wrote a great book, Grace in Practice, and he writes, grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. Grace is love coming at you that has nothing to do with you. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. Grace has everything to do with the lover and not the beloved. It has nothing to do with weights and measures. It has nothing to do with my intrinsic qualities or so-called gifts, whatever they may be. It reflects a decision on the part of the giver, the one who loves in relation to the receiver, the one who is loved, that negates any qualifications the receiver may personally hold. Listen, he says, grace is one-way love. Grace is one-way love. This should put a smile on your face. Go ahead. It's good, isn't it? Smile! Grace is one-way love. God loves you. There's no standard of performance expected. There's no passing grade. There's no level of sacrifice. Right now, you are loved just as you are. Right now, you are loved not because what you have done, not because of what you have not done. You are loved because God is love. God is for you and God is not against you. Our continuing freedom in acknowledging and remembering this gift of grace, our continuing freedom is dependent on a consistent rediscovery of God's grace and forgiveness. I'm talking about waking up, like setting an alarm. Here's your alarm to wake you up. Here's an alarm to remind you of grace. Bang, bang. Wake up to a new day. Got to be reminded of grace. I don't have to earn this and deserve this. This is a free gift. Let me remind you God's grace is sufficient for you. And when you make a mistake, because you will and you do, you repent and you are forgiven. To close, here's another reminder. We are all repeat offenders in need of God's grace. Every single one of us. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. It is possible that those converted Pharisees who were resistant to the idea of the Gentiles being welcomed into the body of Christ without circumcision, it's possible that they wrestled with pride as they watched the Gentile be saved. I imagine some were thinking, I have religiously, rigorously kept 
the law. My entire life, I have been faithful and upright. I have done the right thing. But this Gentile, this Gentile hasn't done anything. And he can be saved. She can be redeemed. But but they haven't done all that I've done. How is that possible? How is that so? See, grace doesn't seem very fair until you need it. So I caution you today, lovingly caution you, don't receive grace, but simultaneously judge whether someone else deserves it. Don't receive God's grace. Thank you, God. And then turn around to your neighbor or your spouse or your child or your grandchild or your colleague and think that it's your responsibility to determine and discern whether or not that person deserves grace. If you have operated under the impression that God is depending on you to discern and decide who is deserving of grace, if you have operated under that mindset, I'm asking you to resign today from your judgment seat. And I'm asking you to use that energy instead of judging others, use that energy to reach them with the unqualified, non-judgmental love that God has for you. Come on, resign from that judgment seat today. Step down. That is not your job. It is God's. Instead, spread grace. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for listening today. If you want to stay connected to all that's happening at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.